Good morning and welcome to each one of you that have gathered here this morning to worship the Lord. First of all, I want to just say thank you for the gift that you've shared today. I am very blessed and feel very privileged to be part of a brotherhood that shows such support and care um, as you do here at Crystal Valley. This morning I have uh, felt led to share from John chapter 3. And as I study this, I was kind of looking for a theme. And as you can see, the title says, Whose Child Are You? And so we, as we think about that, whose child are you, it, it gives two options here for whose child we can be in, in the spiritual realm. And it, it struck me last night as I was studying this, you know, in the last um, week or week and a half, we've had two new babies born to the church family here at Crystal Valley. Two families have welcomed a new child into their home. And I'm guessing as, you know, people meet these these little babies, there'll be lots of conversation and comments about, you know, which parent they look like, you know, who what their eyes, whose eyes they have, or their nose, or smile, or, or whatever feature um, they discuss. And you know, it'll be probably be pretty obvious, you know, when you look at these two babies, which family they belong to. So I think we can translate that over into our spiritual life. You know, as we observe our own lives, or as other people observe our own lives. I think it becomes obvious um, whose family we are a part of or who our father is. So let's read um, our text today, which will be 1 John chapter 3, and I'll be reading the whole chapter at this time. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Blessed now are we... Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man hath this hope in, every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you, he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother, And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. 
Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because, he, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he, he in him. And hereby know we that he abideth in us, by the Spirit which he has given, hath given us. So as we look at the beginning of this chapter, he starts out with the word, Behold. As we think about that word, you know, he's... He's calling us to take notice of what he is about to tell us. And, you know, we, as we look on the love of God and what, what he has done for us, I, and as I think of that with, with the word behold, I think of somebody telling you, you know, I'm going to reveal something very special to you. And I'm sure there's things that um, cause our you know, us to be in awe, you know, that varies for each one of us. For me, it tends to be things in nature. You know, as I visited Glacier National Park a few years ago, it was like very awe-inspiring to see the, the majestic mountains and just the vastness of God's creation. And so that's, that tends to speak to me and, and, and remind me of God and His greatness. And so that, you know, brings all to, to my heart and and I don't know what it is for you, but as we behold the love that God has bestowed upon us, I think that in my heart is even more majestic than the mountains that God has created. And it really spoke to my heart as I thought over what the love of God means to us and how great it is and what He has bestowed upon us. And bestowed is, is like giving a gift or an honor, and God has given that to us. He's put that upon us if, if we are willing to accept that gift. And so I just challenge you, you know, to think about and behold the love of God. What does it mean to you? Have you stopped to take time to think about how that has impacted your life? How would your life be different if you had not experienced the love of God? You know, the love of God is the greatest gift that has ever been made available to us. And so I think it's, it's you know, good for us to stop and consider that and, and thank God for, for that this morning. And I just wanted to look at a few verses from Romans that give us a little glimpse of that love. It says, Romans 5, verses 6 and 9, 6 to 9, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good some would even dare to die. But God commanded, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love was so great that he did this for us, which says when we were without strength, we didn't even have the strength in ourselves to do anything about our lost condition. And God died for us even when we had made no moves to come to him. And verse 8 says, 
He commended his Lord love toward us and that while we were yet sinners. And then it talks about how, you know, we as humans, we, we struggle to do something for even a good person. You know, we might consider giving our lives for someone we love and care for. Parents might consider giving their life for a child of theirs. A husband or a wife might give their life for a spouse. Or we might even give our life for a dear friend. But for someone who's our enemy, that takes love to a whole new level. What if that person we were asked to die for had injured or harmed our loved ones? Would we be willing to die for, the, for them? And that's what God did. We, um, our sins put Jesus on the cross, his only begotten son, and yet he still loved us even though we were his enemies. We were not his friends, we were not his acquaintances, but we were his enemies, and he did it for us. You know, even then, even as we lived in sin and disobeyed his commands. You know, as Jesus went to the cross, he was willing and able to see beyond what we were at the moment. And he did that for us even, you know, as we lived in sin. He made that plan of salvation available to us. And so I think it's, you know... God's call to us is to emulate the love of God and extend His love to others even when they, you know, aren't, aren't, you know, friends of ours, when they're our enemies. And that brings us to the next point. God, in His love, changed us from His enemies to His sons. You know, verse 1 says, Love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He has taken us from his enemies to his sons. And that is an amazing love and an amazing transformation that can happen. You know, as I was thinking about something that we could think, you know, compare this to maybe, you know, you take an old truck or an old car, maybe an old tractor, and it's sitting in the weeds, it's rusted, it's broken down, it's no good. But somebody who knows what they're doing, they pull that machine out of the weeds, they take it into the shop, they pour hours of time and energy and love into that machine, and it becomes a piece to be admired and maybe put in a museum that, that hundreds of thousands of people can enjoy. And that's what God did to us. He cleaned us up. He made us useful again. Before God's love got a hold of us, we were, you know, uh, um, a wreck, I guess I would say. And through Jesus Christ, God made us his sons and daughters. In John 1.12, the Apostle John tells us, you know, as we received Jesus into our lives, we became the sons of God. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And as, as we believe in Jesus, it's through his name that we can receive that power and become his children. Also in Ephesians 3.13, Paul speaks of us being brought to Christ. It says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. And here he's referring to us as Gentiles. You know, the people of Israel were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But here we who were not even close to Jesus, we were afar off, were made nigh by the blood of Jesus. You know, there was the lineage of Abraham that were God's people in the Old Testament. But in God, God's love, he didn't want to see any of mankind perish. He wanted all to have 
his plan of salvation. So he made us sons, even though we were not a part of that lineage. And so I'm grateful, you know, that God has made that available to each one of us, that he has made it possible that I can be a part of his family. And then in verse 2 it talks about, you know, we are the sons of God now. And, you know, we don't know what we're going to be like in the future. But it says, we shall be like him. You know, isn't that an amazing realization that we who are broken sinners can be like him? We not only become his child, we only, not only become his sons and daughters, but we can be like him. You know, as an earthly child bears the resemblance of his father, so we can bear the resemblance of our spiritual fathers. You know, even though we were his enemies, even though we had sinned against him and our fellow man, we can become like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, you know, that was such a blessing as I thought about this. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21 um, tell us this. says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our, Lord, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, in Jesus Christ... Our hope in God, our hope and example is Jesus Christ, and our desire should be to be more like Him. You know, there's many things that we can model our life after here in this world, but let's make our model Jesus Christ. Let's not model our things or model our lives after things that are temporary and that will fail. Even though we don't know exactly what the future holds, we can be confident that here now we have the privilege of being the children of God. And that when Jesus comes for his saints, we shall be like him. So as we, as we realize that, you know, we can be God's children, I want to think about a few points of what the, what the life or the ways of a child of God will look like and the evidences that show that that person truly is God's child. And the first one I, I want to look at is purification in verse 3. It says, And every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now, if we have that hope of spending eternity with Christ, we're going to do anything we can to purify our lives so that there's nothing that hinders that relationship, nothing that keeps us away from eternity with, with Christ. We don't allow any unrighteousness into our lives. And, you know, Jesus is pure and holy, and therefore unrighteousness will hinder that relationship with him. Romans 6, 9 through 10 gives us some insight into this. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Neither thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, this is an exhaustive list what will hinder our relationship with God. But it's just an example to show us that, you know, unrighteousness will not enter into the kingdom of God. You know, how then can we um, inherit the kingdom of God? You know, as we heard from Lester last Sunday, we inherited our nature, our sin nature from Adam, and that, you know, we are born with that. You know, in Romans 3.23 tells us that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 
11 of Romans 6 gives us an answer to that. It says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of our God. You know, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be cleansed from the stain of sin. We can find freedom in Christ and find purity in our hearts and peace with our Heavenly Father. And when we have a pure and holy heart, we can have a relationship with Jesus and have hope of eternal life with Him, in heaven with Him. Second is, the child of God will live in righteousness, and that we find in verses 4 through 9. It talks about those who live in sin and commit sin, transgress the law, and that, you know, Jesus came to die on the cross to get rid of sin. You know, the, the, child of li- the child of God will live a life of righteousness, and those who live in sin are not a child of God. You know, verse 8 tells us that those who commit sin are not of God, but are the, of the devil. If we are living in sin, our life, you know, we have sin in our life, we are working against Jesus Christ and his purpose for coming to this earth, and therefore we are not on the same team as Jesus we cannot be partakers of sin and be pure and holy at the same time. Jesus came to this earth to take away those sins. And we see this in verse 5. And in verse 9 we see again that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which we know to be sin. And verse 7 there it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. You know, there's false teachers who would try to convince you that you can live in unrighteousness. You know, they promote acts of unrighteousness, and yet call themselves children of God. But that, that can't be in here. You know, we see that in these verses. And we need to stay close to Jesus so that we know what his will is for us. And we need to be in scripture and know so that we can know his will for our lives. You know, if we are living in sin, we have not truly experienced God. Jesus came to this earth to conquer sin and death forever, so that we could live free from sin and experience the blessings of eternal life with Christ. And there will be a clear contrast between the children of God and the children of the devil. And we see that in verse 10. So here we're looking at, the next point is, we're looking at what the child of the devil will look like um, in, versus the child of God. So looking at verse 10, it says, And this is the child of God are manifest in the children of the devil, that whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So there are two things that identify the child of the devil. It's living in unrighteousness and not loving his brother. You know, there are numerous passages that we could look at for a list of some of the fruits of unrighteousness, and I won't be turning to any of those, but living in unrighteousness is simply not living out the commands of God. You know, as we saw in the previous verses, if we live in unrighteousness, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, and that we also read that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where it tells us that we will not inherit the kingdom of God if we, you know, do not, if we live in unrighteousness. And the interesting thing is, in that context, it is again talking about how we relate to our brother. You know, so we can see that scripture is full of you know, admonition on how we treat our brother. How we treat our brother is evidence of us being 
a child of God or a child of the devil. Which brings us to the second, the last part of that verse, where it talks about that. And in verse, we see this continuation in verse 11, it says, For this message have ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So even from the beginning of time, this was God's command, was to love one another. God's message hasn't changed since creation. God's command is to love. Love God and love our fellow man. And it gives the uh, example of Cain, an an example that we um, should not follow, an example of someone who was not a child of God. He did not love his brother. And, And why was that? He killed his brother because his own works were wicked. He didn't kill his brother because Cain was a wicked person. He did it to cover his own sin. He did it to distract from the way his own life was going. You know, when we are living in ungodliness and someone else is living godly, that can convict our conscience. And sometimes, instead of dealing with the problem in our own life, we kill our brother. You know, we might not do it in a physical sense, but we can, you know, make things in church too complicated and for them and discourage them. We might, you know, slander their character. There's, there's all kinds of ways that we can kill someone without doing it physically. And so, you know, here Cain did that to his brother Abel. He did it so that he could cover his own guilty conscience. In verse 13 there, it talks about, um, it says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. So the children of the devil have a different goal in life, and they will not understand the perspective of the child of God. So this, you know, calls us to not be, not to marvel at that. We're not supposed to be surprised that the world doesn't understand where we're coming from as a child of God. And if you look at it from, from a you know, earthly perspective, the child of God might not make sense. Why would you care and love for people the way that God calls his children to, if, if you're a child of God? You know, we can become uncomfortable when, when the world doesn't accept our, our views, and, you know, we, we don't like that, but here it says that we shouldn't be surprised. And, you know, the scripture also tells us that if if we are a part of God's family, we will suffer persecution. So we can, you know, I don't think we need to intentionally cause strife between believers and unbelievers, but we can rest in the fact that God does care for us even if those who are in the world do not accept us. So getting back to the life of a child of God, the other thing that marks the life of God's children is a life of service, and that we see in verses 16 through 19. Here John gets practical and, and shows us how the child of God is to live in everyday life. For a few more verses on that, I would like to read from Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Here Jesus lays out to his disciples how his kingdom and the way it's structured will look a lot different than the way the world structures their lives. 
these, in the context of these verses were the um, disciples had heard Jesus say that he would be you know, killed and crucified, and they, they didn't like that. And then the Zebedee family was asking for positions of power within Jesus' kingdom. So we'll start reading at verse 42 of John chapter 10. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their, their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be your servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So in these verses we see that greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth gave us an example to follow and that example is that he didn't come to be ministered to he, he came to be the minister and he gave his life a ransom for many and that's the example that God calls us to you know if we desire to be great in God's kingdom that's the standard God has set for us you know here in Mark Jesus says those that Desire to be great, here it says, be a minister. The, the ESV also uses the word servant. And for the, for the one where it says first, it also uses the word slave, which here in the King James it uses servant. So there's, there's the idea of, you know, serving and, and being a slave is very, very uncomfortable to us. We, in our humanity, um, tend to look out for ourselves and our flesh doesn't like this idea of being a servant or a slave that really goes against what our flesh wants to do you know our, our human nature tends to want to be served and be in a position that gives us honor and respect but God has a better plan for his kingdom you know as we come back to our text here in, in John you know we see we see that that again and, and just confirms what we read in Mark, you know, that we need to lay down our life for our fellow man. And you know, so what does that look like as we lay down the, our lives for our brothers and sisters? And you know, this is this is in, in from an earthly perspective, but for the men and women, you know, who go and, and fight in the military for the United States they live by the ethos that nobody gets left behind. And you know, if a soldier is wounded, captured, or missing, the U.S. military makes it a top priority to bring them home. And that even applies to soldiers who have low rank with little strategic importance. The military doesn't spare any effort to find that missing soldier. During the war in Afghanistan, there was a private who left his post and was captured. And... Christopher Van Eck, who was a commander of an army ranger regiment, asked his commander, you know, commanding general at the time, if the price wasn't too high, you know, all the, the soldiers that were getting wounded during the process to find this, this um, private, if that price wasn't too high. And the general replied that it is important that every soldier out there knows the country will do everything in its power to ensure that they are never left out on the ba battlefield. And Jimmy Hatch, who was a part of that operation, he was part of the, the hostage rescue team called SEAL Team 6, was actually shot and injured during you know, a failed attempt to rescue the lost private. 
Mr. Hatch's military career was ended due to his injuries he suffered during the raid. He went through 18 surgeries and even suffered PTSD from that incident. Yet he said trying to save the private was the right thing to do. Is that, the question for you and I is, are we as followers of Jesus willing to do that for our brothers and sisters? You know, this is a fight for an earthly kingdom. Ours is a fight for a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that will never fade away. And so I think our calling is even higher than that. You know, these people are willing to give their very life for their fellow soldiers. And that is a deep commitment. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to take it even further than that. You know, need to lay down our life for those who are lost and who are hurting. You know, if we want to be followers of Jesus, that is what he requires of us, that we lay down our life for our fellow man. I think we can, you know, as, as Christians, we can, you know, focus on saving our own life sometimes. We want to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that we can escape eternal death. We're looking out for, for our own life, and we forget that a condition of receiving eternal life is that we share the love of God with those around us. So I just challenge each one of us to you know, live a life of service, be willing to lay down our life for our fellow man. And sometimes it's in the small things that it's hard to lay down our life for our fellow man. You know, sometimes giving up of our time can be really hard when we want to do our own thing. You know, sometimes for me, as I prepare for a sermon, to give up my time can be one of the hardest things to do. And I think, you know, as we look at serving other people, that can be the hardest thing to do. You know, here in America, money is relatively easy to come by. We can just work a few more hours and donate some money. But time is really what people need. Relationships is what people need. They need someone to plug into their lives and care for them. You know, we live in a a world with that has almost 8 billion people in it, and yet there are lonely people around us. We need to be willing to reach out to those lonely people. You know, if I, if I told you that I was um, concerned about hunger in Africa and I donated a week's wages to that, you would probably think that was a good thing. But if I actually went to Africa to help the situation, spend time actually doing something about it, that would mean a lot more to those people that are struggling from hunger. So I think that's, you know, that, that's just one example of a way we can lay down our life is to lay aside some of our own interests at times and to be willing to reach out to others. And there's maybe different ways that God is calling you to. You know, so my challenge in, in serving is, this morning, is that we'd be willing to serve wherever God has called us to, wherever that may be this morning. You know, the kingdom of God is not a place for idleness, but it's a place for bearing fruit. God calls us to bear fruit. And so let's be open to the call of God, wherever that may be. So in closing, I just have a a few thoughts to wrap this up. First of all, I just encourage each one of you to meditate and consider what the love of our Heavenly Father means to you personally over the coming days. And... Also that we, I encourage you to live your life in a way that shows your gratefulness to God. You know, we can say that we, love, we appreciate the love of God 
And if our life does not reflect it, it doesn't mean anything to God. If our life does not reflect it, it means that we have not really accepted His love. Also, you know, just as we have a physical father, we also have a spiritual father. And as those around us can identify our physical father from our appearance, our words, our actions, so others will be able to identify which spiritual family we belong to by the deeds and actions that we do. And as we consider whose child we are, there are ways for us and others to know whose, whose child we are. If we do not love and practice do not love, and we practice unrighteousness, we are not a child of God. Those who believe in Jesus and love and serve others are of God. You know, we are saved, yes, we are saved by faith, but it's going to be our works that we, are, we will be judged by, and those works are how we love and serve our fellow man. Also, keep your life and heart pure before God. As First John 1 Verse 7 says that as we walk in the light of Jesus Christ, we will be cleansed from all sin. You know, if our life is to be pure, holy, and free from sin and darkness in this world, we need to be in close communion with God. We need to be walking with Him daily and meditating on His scriptures. And don't allow sin to reign in your life. You know, something is going to control us. There will be some controlling force in our life. There's something that motivates the actions the deeds that we do, you know, don't let that be sin. Don't let sin be the driving force. And Romans 6 tells us that we can do this by considering ourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ. You know, when something is dead to us, it's not even an option. That option doesn't even exist for us. And that's how we should view sin. But we need to be alive to God and filled with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. God has shared his amazing, boundless love with us, frail, broken, sinful as we are. Don't allow, this, don't allow this gift to be in vain in your life. Allow his love to change you into a fruitful child of his. And may we allow him to work in our lives and let his love flow freely through us to bless our brothers and sisters as well as the communities that we live in. Let's kneel for prayer at this time. Dear Father in heaven, we bow before you this another day. We thank you for your boundless love that you have so abundantly given to us. Thank you that you have accepted us as your sons and daughters. And I just pray that you would help us to live a life that would show our gratefulness, help us to serve you, help us to serve others, and to humbly walk before you in purity and holiness. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you have